Hey, it's Martin. I'd like to start the podcast today in memoriam for not one but two people. Somebody who made a huge impact on Formula One and somebody at the beginning of their motorsport career. Last night, Bob Fernley passed away just 70 years old, best known perhaps for his 10 years as the deputy team principal of Force India Formula One team, owned by Vijay Malia, who was team principal, but he was rarely at races. And it was Bob Fernley who led that team in the Formula One paddock, a key player during tumultuous times. And they earned their voice in Formula One, the old phrase of punching above their weight. He really did drag Force India to places where they had no right being with the budgets that they had, putting drivers like Fissi and Perez on the podium multiple times and fourth place finishes in the World Championship in 2016 and 2017. A lifelong motorsport fan and running teams in the US and in Formula One as well. He would go on to run McLaren's IndyCar project and then be the FIA's head of the single-seater commission until 2022. Enormously sad news that we said goodbye to Bob yesterday, so young as well. And someone at the start of their career earlier on today, we heard that an 18-year-old called Delano Vant Hoff died in the Formula Regional crash. They're racing at Spa, and it's an accident that unfortunately we have seen before. Terrible weather. And when I say terrible weather, I mean... Just zero visibility as the safety car pulled in. What should have been the last lap of the race? The second place driver spun. Delano Van Hoff was a long way back in the in the pack, but also lost control at the top of Radion and in no visibility was sadly hit by another car. Awful, awful news to come out of once again Spa, once again bad weather, once again a young driver. Just unfortunate thinkably sad news but I wanted to start the podcast by paying tribute today and plenty of people have Formula 2 had a minute silence at the beginning of their event today in Austria led by Stefano Domenicali and then all the drivers paid tribute let's go to reigning Formula 1 world champion Max Verstappen who tweeted Extremely sad to hear the news about Delano today I want to send my condolences to Delano's family and loved ones Rest in peace. That's what Max Verstappen said. Almost impossible to segue from that into matters of moment and talk about today's track action, but that's probably the best I'm going to do today as we talk about the action. That's why we're here on the podcast to talk about the action today at the Red Bull Ring Sprint Weekend. I'm joined by the editor of Autosport.com. He's been a busy one today. That's Hayden Cobb. Hey, Hayden. So Sprint is back and we were treated to an exciting race but again I find it a bit weird having started the podcast like that it was exciting because of rain and yet we've just been talking about a terrible accident because of terrible weather but uh, uh, clearly nothing as bad in in Austria but it was that weather that did oh my goodness uh, for want of a better phrase spice things up a little bit it was tyre choice it was intermediates going off but in terms of the results it was a Red Bull 1-2 but it almost wasn't can you talk us through even though Max Verstappen won, how it was almost a bit of a, uh, uh, let me think about this. That was a Lewis and uh, Rosberg moment in Barcelona, one on the grass, but this time neither had to retire. Um, just talk us through that first lap. I would. Uh, thanks for having me again. Uh, it's been a while since we spoke, but yes, it has. Um, a difficult day for all involved, as you've mentioned there. But um, yes, yeah, talking about the the, the sprint race, uh, well, yes, we almost had, yeah, I think the Hamilton Rosberg uh, Spain 20 was it 2016 Paris yeah. almost got that way Perez jumped into into the lead of the sprint outside of the first out coming out of the first corner and into turn two Verstappen on his inside trying to find a way through with better traction and uh, 
to quote Perez, he he didn't didn't see him there. So, sorry, mate, didn't see you there. Um, <laughs> it was his line of defence. Yes, there was spray. Do we do we truly believe he wouldn't have known that Max would have been there, given it's the start of a race and attack, and he would have switched to his inside in the run up to turn three. But anyway, they they managed to get away with it. Yes, Verstappen uh, <laughs> was equally uh, unhappy, and I think uh, as we saw, sort of going, running up to turn three sort of really showed uh, Perez oh anything you can do I will I'll do equally because he yeah last of the uh, the late breakers pushing Perez to the outside of the track which almost let the the rest of the field sort of just walk on through the door but um no judged it just just right to leave Perez enough room on track but to to sort of strike back ahead um and just to to really nail it home he did it basically again at turn four uh, and that's where <laughs> things really did start to shake up because that uh, fully opened the door to a certain Nico Hulkenberg, who got a, a great start, got up to third, and then, yeah, flying around the outside of sort of turn five, swooped around the outside of of, of Perez to gain second, and uh, with Verstappen in the lead, uh, it sort of all played in nicely to to Verstappen's hand from that point onwards. He set set about producing a, an incredible lead, um, and Perez was stuck behind Hulkenberg up until lap 12 which is halfway through the the sprint race when he eventually did get by with uh, Hulkenberg's tyres sort of giving up as has been the the floor in the Haas this year that we've seen the gap that Verstappen had built there was was insurmountable and by the end of it of the end of the race it was up to 21 seconds in the end over Perez which given it was a 24 lap race uh, you can do the the relative maths of how quick per lap he was <laughs> he was able to pull out and to be fair he had pace at will again on Perez it wasn't like he was just holding station once Perez got back up to second so yeah uh, a dominant display uh, by Verstappen after that first few corners tete-a-tete between the Red Bulls which we haven't seen for, for for a while so that was quite quite intriguing I've got to say it was um yeah, Perez came elbows out. He's not obviously had a great run of form, as we've spoken about on many occasions, and and we can reflect. I'm sure you reflect on with Alex uh, yesterday in his qualifying performance. But um, no, this was a Perez that I think had a point to prove, not only to Verstappen but probably to to everyone else that were doubting him, and gave it a good go. Granted, it didn't really come off, but still, second place in the sprint behind his teammate is is what he would have needed and wanted. So. It gave us a bit of spice, which I think is is a good thing. What I thought about that turn four incident, which is where Max ran Perez wide, was, and I think he did run him wide, and I think on the TV commentary they're like, oh, he couldn't get it slowed down in time. I think Max was completely under control. Now, I've not gone back and watched the onboard, and I will do on the app, uh, and I'll watch some onboards a little bit later on tonight uh, when we finished finished work, and I'll... You know, listen to the gear changes, listen to the engine, though. I suspect Max had that completely under control. And uh, what I love, what I love, 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 love about Max Verstappen, even though he knows he's he's going to win the championship this year, barring, you know, uh, anything terrible with reliability, whatever, he doesn't like being anywhere but first in a Grand Prix car. And oh, even though it's yeah. second to his teammate, who he knows he's faster than, and who he knows he can overtake, okay, Azerbaijan was a different case, but he still really hates being not in the lead and that hunger is I, I i love it absolutely absolutely love uh seeing it he just wants to win everything and that is uh that's why we for the entertainment that we watch i should i should do the the the, the finishing order by the way so the top eight score points in the sprint if you just need a reminder as i did earlier in the week how does this work again friday morning practice friday afternoon when everyone's at work qualifying for sunday's grand prix 
Saturday morning sprint shootout, which sets the grid for the sprint race. We can now call it a race. Uh, yes, the fact that Perez uh, didn't get through to Q3 yesterday is harmful for his Grand Prix because he'd be stuck back in traffic. But today, uh, he did come home. Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez, Carlos Sainz. So Red Bull, Red Bull, Ferrari, top three. Points down to eighth, then the two Astons. And uh, then it was... So those top five didn't stop. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, so those all lasted the whole 24 laps on their intermediates. Then, uh, behind Fernando Alonso, Nico Hülkenberg, uh, who did stop, Esteban Ocon, who didn't in his Alpine, and George Russell, who was the first of the early stoppers. It really, really paid off for him. Strategist at Mercedes got it absolutely bob on because he got a point in eighth. So I guess, uh, Hayden, unless uh, you, you think that uh, there's probably maybe I'm missing something, it seemed like today there was probably three... Probably three big, st- like th- kind of three big things that I guess I would take away. Firstly, it was that Red Bull clash on lap one. Max came out victor- victorious, and at the end, on the team radio, said, "We'll have a talk about what happened there." It was like it was like Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like you know, you know who's the number one in that team. He said it to Horner as well. We'll have a talk about that. Yes, yeah. He, 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 I'm sure he won't forget either. He never forgets about these things. Oh, he doesn't. The fact that the McLarens were really quick over single lap pace, but because of the two Red Bulls running each other off the road, and I suspect, I've not read any of the interviews in the press conference, uh, we know that only Lando has the upgrade. Lando and Lyris was third. There's one set of bits. I don't think he wanted to turn them all into carbon fibre shards <laughs> for a not. sprint. I don't think any driver wants to do their best at times, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. So, <laughs> no spares. No spares for that new upgrade package. Oscar Piastri has the old uh, setup. And so he was so cautious, went down to 10th. He just like slammed on the brakes, everyone went past him, but he avoided shunting into the two Red Bulls. On that, so we yeah, having spoken to, to Norris after uh, the sprint, he uh, conceded that he hit anti-stall when trying to oh. avoid the, the Red Bulls. So granted, he wasn't yeah planning to plough straight into them, but when sort of lifting off, his car hit, hit sort of false neutral if it was a motorcycle, anti-stalled, and that's why you saw everyone sort of plough past him and he was just out of momentum on that that drive from turn yeah, turn three to turn four. So yeah, yeah. a bit of a bit of a painful one there because again, had the pace was in a it was in a battle pretty much the entire race after that point because it sort of planted him next to sort of Leclerc and the Alpines and Mercedes that were around him and um gave it a good go. It was a, to be fair, like like you say, there was if we for, for one moment just ignore the two rebels out front. <laughs> it was a great race from every other place. Was there, there was overtakes oh, of plenty. There's strategy going on in the sprint. Like this is sort of what the whole rules reset was aimed for. Yeah, we've just got one dominant team, which we think we knew about anyway already. But like, yeah, if you wanted to encapsulate probably what Red, sorry, what F1 wanted from their new rules um, at the start of last season, this was a sort of the example of it. And, and yeah, it was, it was it was an entertaining race. Good to know because I guess they're on lap one, turn four. Uh, they're still on. They're probably going to an opening lap engine map or something, or or you know clutch settings or something, um, which is a, a real shame. Um, so yeah, first of the non-scorers was Lando Norris in ninth, and then Lewis Hamilton in tenth in the in the Mercedes. So we did see some contra strategies in terms of uh, people stopping early. Uh, who went on to the softs? Nick De Vries did, Joe Guanyu. They were right at the back anyway. But the first of the ones that could genuinely make a bid 
to go for it was George Russell, 12 laps before the end, was like, right, I'm going to gamble on slicks. And it was a gamble that paid off. I, th- I think the third big storyline of today's sprint was, yeah, the rain came down, the rain stopped, drying track, when do you go to slicks, of which the top five runners didn't. Um, but so many storylines. You know, let's talk, actually, before we talk about George Russell, because he was the first of them to, to pit, Nico Hulkenberg, Nico Hulkenberg, as you say, was running second. Where would he have finished if he hadn't stopped? Well, he did. He stopped after 17 laps for the mediums. Did seven laps on those. He brought it home sixth. Hassel be delighted with sixth. He was running second. If he'd stayed out I, I think, on those worn intermediates, I think it could have been a lot worse. It, he wouldn't have scored any points if he'd stayed out. Haas, with, so with, with their current um, car, which um, they've actually uh, uh, installed a, a special sensor to try and track their tyred degradation wow. problems because basically they eat through their tyres quicker than it looks like any car currently on the grid um, and Ferrari have obviously made updates to try and um, cure their own problems with that Tass sort of went into the sprint knowing with the conditions that they are almost accepting that they were probably going to have to have make a pit stop in the sprint uh, at some point in terms of to make optimal race time let's say and and therefore sort of conditions and then in a sense played into their hands because a lot of their rivals had to do the same, not necessarily because the tyre was worn out, but just because the track was drying. So, so therefore, they, they, they sort of were in the same boat but for a slightly different reason. And like you say, so yeah, so to Hulkenberg, I think like he, he held his hand up saying, we know our pace on, oh, sorry, our car on pace alone wasn't going to hold on to those sort of top two, top three spots. But making the pit stop at the right time, extracting that pace that that car does have over a few laps... Which which he was able to when he put the the new uh, dry tires on, it was one of the yeah one of the quickest on the track alongside yeah Russell that had done it sort of at the similar time, and that allowed him to to leapfrog Norris and Ocon, um, who didn't pit to to and basically then defend sixth for the last couple of laps to to take sixth place and that's a huge boost for for Haas in terms of the championship pulls them clear of. Uh, the sort of the rest of the the teams towards well, then they're seventh in the constructors at the moment. They're only six points off McLaren. Like that's that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So a great, yeah, okay. It's it's sixth place in a sprint. It's never sort of something that you would necessarily write home about. But for, for Haas, in terms of grabbing the opportunity and and making things sort of work for them, that's that's a top top result. Kevin Magnus only scored two points this year, two tenth places. That's right. Yeah, for a team like Haas, sprint or not, or Grand Prix or not. It's it's a point is a point, and it's hugely valuable. And yeah, yeah, um, massively. So you know, Hulkenberg's got nine points on the board compared to his teammate, and that is that's worth everything to that team. Exactly. If they can hold on to seventh between now and the end of the year, which granted is a long way to go, big ask, but that's that's a massive um, gain and a massive improvement from the from the house team. So yeah, full credit to them. And, and like you said, sort of about the the pit stoppers, uh, Russell was running. I think 11th off the top of my head before he mm. uh, pitted. And again, we've seen this from, from George a few times. Um, and this isn't just because of the, the sweat in his helmet thinking it's raining. <laughs> he does like to gamble from wet tyres to dry tyres earlier than anyone else. Some Sometimes, and to be fair, I think the most notable times it has backfired on him. Knowing that he wasn't going to score any points stuck in that fight around 11th place, he didn't have anything to lose. So went for it early Yes, got through that sort of nightmare first lap. Uh, Russell said that the worst part of the track was just the pit lane because it didn't have any F1 cars on it to dry it up. So once he got out of the pit lane, got, yeah, got the heat into his tyres, found the dry line, 
he was the, one of the fastest uh, cars on track and was flying through the pack. Obviously, aided by then everyone else pitting after him, so could just leap leapfrog from there. Nine thousandths of a second off taking seventh place off seventh place off Ocon, and given Ocon didn't stop, that shows you how quick that Mercedes was and how they got the strategy right in terms of given how poorly they qualified in the sprint qualifying. <laughs> I guess that's the other thing of like why were they so far back? So Russell had a Q two exit because he had a hydraulics failure on his Mercedes uh, right at the end of Q1 so he couldn't settle lap time in Q2 and his teammate Lewis Hamilton they basically just they got it wrong with where he was in track position and a drying track again in qualifying and failed to set uh, a decent enough lap time to get out of Q1 so he started in 18th place uh, finished, so Hamilton finishing 10th obviously didn't get points because of the sprint race rules and Russell in 8th is not a bad recovery given how poor their qualifying was and I think uh, yeah one of our colleagues sort of worked out it's potentially their worst qualifying in since they've been back in F1 which as a a collective uh, they've obviously had cars at the back because of grid penalties and whatnot but in terms of strategy and and just pace let's say it was their worst qualifying since they've been back in F1 so Yes, granted, recovering and only scoring one point in the sprint when the likes of Aston were finishing fourth and fifth, who were, and Ferrari in a, getting a car in third is is certainly still not a, an ideal turnaround. But uh, still, it wasn't the worst of weekends, uh, worst of Saturdays, particularly given how it started. But great for the two Aston Martins of Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso. Lance Stroll out-qualified Fernando yesterday and he finished ahead of him in the sprint race uh, today. So definitely showing uh, uh, his uh, his teammate. Well, Fernando was all over the back of him. I think Fernando Alonso, I've said this before on the podcast, is viewing Aston Martin as part of his pension and, <laughs> and, and taking off. If it was not his teammate and his boss's son in front of him, I think that would have been a different last few corners yeah. from Fernando. And and but again, it was for fourth place in a, in the sprint race. If it had been for a victory, I think you're right. Yeah. Something very different would have happened. But yeah. we'll never know. But at this point, he was he was certainly looking for a move. Didn't ever go for one or, or pull it off fully. But uh, yeah, still, I think you're right. He's playing the team game there, knowing oh, that yeah. a fourth place in a sprint and upsetting your team boss and your teammate is probably not necessarily worth it compared to say doing it for a race win well he's not only playing the team game he's playing the Alonso game which I think is he's like his whole life is a big game of chess (laughs) and he makes bad moves sometimes moving team (laughs) to team but um I think that's him that's his last big move and you know that is a that's him embedded in a big car company potentially so um yeah I don't see him uh uh when he needs to um taking off his his you know uh taking too many risks that could take off his teammate but uh, maybe maybe it's just me uh he doesn't need the money but i just think you know stay staying in with with the strolls is probably a, a good idea at a stage of your career he's going to want to do more things than flog a few hats with a logo on in his old age <laughs> so um so yes. he'll, he'll keep on their good side uh, i imagine uh so yeah but so nico hulkenberg did stop but as you say, he wouldn't have got that eventual sixth place if he hadn't stopped for those medium tyres. Um, Ocon didn't stop, but George Russell did. And then the non-scorers, Lando Norris, Lewis Hamilton, Piastri with the old McLaren setup in 11th. Charles Leclerc just couldn't make anything work today down in 12th. Alex Albon ran pretty high at some points, but was down in 13th. And uh, and that, that was today's sprint. But of course, it means nothing. It means nothing, uh, according to uh, the new sprint rules, because now we go into 
tomorrow and the Grand Prix, and it was all about what happened yesterday. So if we can cast our minds back, it's going to be where every time we do a, um, a sprint, cast your minds back to Friday. That's the starting order. Ha- Final question to you. Have we published anything online or any of our uh, experts started to write those articles about anything that can be concluded from a Saturday into a Sunday? Because obviously we had wet weather, we had almost no dry running. So we've seen previous iterations of the sprint format where people learn so much on a Saturday, it sort of makes Sunday a bit dull. But I'm not sure that's going to happen this time because I'm not sure what they would have learned today that is applicable tomorrow if it's a dry day that's right and the forecast currently says it will be a a dry day so in in a funny sort of way as you say saturday is basically a a standalone event the way the weather has potentially likely to fall out the the rain is also going to be a standalone event as in just hit saturday um so teams can definitely learn from from the running they've had and Gleam a relative amount, and of course, the starting positions for a few key members of this this Grand Prix um, are going to be very different from from where they were in the sprint. Most notably, Perez being down in starting in fifteenth uh, rather than the second place and fighting for the the lead at the start that um, that he was in the sprint. And uh, yes, assuming again, assuming it stays dry, of course, we would fully expect the the Red Bull on race pace alone to work its way through the field and and. Not that I want to bore people or put them off for the Grand Prix, but uh, assuming Verstappen gets into the lead on the first lap, I, I sort of expect him to scamper off into the distance at a potentially even greater rate than he uh, than he did today. Um, but he does have two Ferraris to fight off, and the, the, I guess the true test will be the Ferrari that's had the upgrades. Uh, can it nurse its tyres uh, at a decent rate and keep the pace with Verstappen and potentially try to use... Uh, yeah, a two-on-one strategy to to cause some cause some headaches. Of course, this was the venue where Ferrari last won a Formula One race because of strategy, because of weather. Given where everyone has qualified in a different sort of way, with probably the exception of Verstappen, Norris, and Hulkenberg, because they were they equally excelled in both the wet and the dry. The story of Saturday is not going to share too much with the story of Sunday which I know sounds contradictory given the winner and the pole sitter is Max Verstappen. That's arguably the story. But hopefully, I guess, the narrative within the rest of it, outside of the headline, will be a very different show. But we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Hayden, thank you so much. Loads of things to read on autosport.com, including, oh goodness, not to bang the drum about accidents, but a massive, massive accident for Simon Pagano in IndyCar at the mid-Ohio round. He rolled his car six and three quarter times was uh, was seen by the medical center of course and delighted to say he walked away from that one not cleared though to continue this weekend because it was such a massive incident but one in which he walked away from so you can read all about that online at autosport.com all of our coverage of everything that's been going on this weekend in austria the red bull ring uh, ring hayden thank you so much uh, for waiting for me delaying your saturday night no, thank, thank you very you. much for having me it's always a pleasure to be on here so yeah i, I couldn't uh, avoid not having a lovely chat with you so don't worry about oh, it well i i uh, i came straight back from brands hatch so if you're listening to this on saturday night or even sunday morning and you're somewhere close by and you'd like a day out uh, this weekend at brands hatch is super touring power bringing back all those touring cars in one place from the super touring era so really early 90s from when 
British touring cars did it, and then the FIA Super Touring took on those rules. Uh, I'm spending today with Alain Menu and Tim Harvey and all the drivers, all the cars, and next to the Autosport stage, we have uh, Winklehock's BMW from 93, maybe, yeah, he was when it, the, his championship year, emblazoned with Autosport logos back when we used to sponsor racing cars. I'm not oh, sure I, have, how I haven't seen that. Still does. Oh, I look forward to it. I, uh, yeah, I know you're obviously down at Blackburn's today with a few of our colleagues, and I'm very jealous, I've got to be honest, because I would have loved to have been down there this weekend. Yeah, they've actually got uh, not only demo runs of all these, so many of these cars, famous cars from the Super Touring era that are still runners. Um, they've got a whole bunch of them together uh, that, are, that are racing this weekend as well, which is very brave of the owners of those vehicles these days. Radisic has flown in from New Zealand. I think cars have been flown in from all around the world, uh, whoever owns those in those collections these days. It's a fantastic event. Um, and if you can't make it there on, on Sunday as a last-minute journey, again, coverage on autosport.com. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Back tomorrow for the Grand Prix review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Sports Social Podcast Network.